I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, an exploration of music's effect on our everyday lives. Today's topic is pretty straightforward. How do songs end up on Spotify playlists? So we're going to jump right in. With me today to enlighten us is Michael Sloan, the owner and CEO of Streaming Promotions. Streaming Promotions works collaboratively with artists, managers, labels, and all forms of digital and traditional PR to grow audiences for artists on streaming services, especially Spotify. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me. Well, Michael, I have to confess that I just started regularly using Spotify and paying for Spotify Premium in the last couple of months. I had a guest on the show. Regular listeners will remember the episode with Charlene Habermeyer, who had done extensive research on which classical music improves concentration and focus and memory, among other things. And I found these curated tracks so effective, especially during quarantine, when everyone is always around and my workspace is not as (laughs) quiet as I'm used to, that I signed up for Spotify Premium just so I could listen to these tracks without ads. So I'm definitely an amateur when it comes to Spotify, but as a music lover, I just feel like I have the world at my fingertips now with Spotify, and I'm really intrigued by who gets to control the exposure that these different songs and artists get. So I'm looking forward to you filling us in a bit on what goes into this process. Sure, and I've been a Spotify premium customer, I think, since the first day it was available in the States. And when was uh, that? (laughs) Oh, man, I believe that was 2000 and nine ten okay. okay somewhere around there okay uh, may have been a little it may have been a little after that but i, I want to say they just recently did it, their 10-year premium service okay uh, prior to that prior to that it was available only in europe uh, and it was a free service for quite a while but okay and they're based out of sweden right they're based out of sweden yeah okay well the first question that probably comes to most people's mind is, can you pay to have songs added to playlists? Now you say right on your website that streaming promotions does not guarantee placement on playlists. You don't pay curators for placement on their playlists. Is that pretty much general practice in the industry? I would like to think so. So if you hearken back to radio days, right, there was Uh something called payola, where in the 50s, there was a huge scandal around more or less the mafia uh, (laughs) paying for songs to be added to the radio. Um, Being that the radio is FCC regulated, you're more or less bribing your way onto federal property, if you will. So Uh federal real estate. So it's illegal. Now, that's not necessarily illegal in the Spotify world. It is in violation of their terms and conditions and their end-user license agreement. Okay. So it's a long way to go to say, yes, it's wrong. Yes, it's somewhat outside the bounds of the terms and conditions of what Spotify is trying to put in place. Are people trying to do that? Most certainly. I mean, there's lots of gray gray areas in the music <laughs> sure. business for sure. So we don't participate in that because I look at it as a somewhat unethical and just really unnecessary way to go about spreading your music. Um, okay. You know, you, you want it to be genuine. You know, you want the, play, the, the classical playlist that you were listening to. You want it to be curated by someone that is trying to invoke a mood or a feel or a, mm-hmm. a vibe, right? You don't yeah. want it to just be full of random tracks that people have paid Sure. To have place there. Sure. Well, and you're real clear on your website, too, that streaming promotions is all about long-term success for artists. And that's not going to be accomplished by what you're describing with a payola. Right. Our goal is always about about awareness for the artist. 
I realize that at the end of the day for an artist, they're not probably going to get rich necessarily, especially if they're an independent artist, going to get rich off of Spotify royalties. Okay. Now they might get rich off of touring. They might get rich off of, you know, some other, some other type of sales, but we're trying to really find an audience for that artist. And the okay. best way to do that from just from a discovery standpoint, as you found out is, is through these, these services that are using consumption and, I happen to like Spotify. So sure, yeah. Now to, let's talk about those different platforms. the The answers that you're giving today are they kind of broad based across platforms? So, like, if it applies to Spotify, does it pretty much also apply to Pandora or Apple Music? Or are there a lot of differences between the streaming platforms? I would say the philosophy behind you know those consumption services are generally the same. I, I speak specific to Spotify because I know the platform the best, okay. um, and it's what I've used. So we utilize Spotify at Streaming Promotions in a way that we are taking you know tastemakers on the platform and trying to feed them music that fits the playlist they have to help grow audience. Mm-hmm. Apple Music, for instance, really doesn't allow for following of other users' playlists uh, in the same way. That S- Spotify works a little bit more like a social media platform. Oh, okay. And Pandora is using the Genome Music Project to algorithmically match songs to you know, if you say, I want songs like yep. this specific song or this specific artist, it builds a playlist out through okay. an algorithm. But they've, that's been around for 20 years or so. Okay, got it. Now, in, when we talk about Spotify playlists, there's a lot of different kinds of playlists. There's official Spotify playlists. There's also mm-hmm. independent playlists. Different influencers can create different playlists. Talk to us about the different playlists that there are. Sure. So there's, I look at it more as three tiers. So there's editorial, which is Spotify's editorial team putting together groups of songs, um, which is usually what you'll see on the homepage from any type of genre. There are well, I guess there's four. There's a, there, there's another type of editorial playlist that is algorithmically driven, similar to kind of like a Pandora, but it's going to be specifically generated to you. So there's Discover Weekly, Release Radar, Daily Moods, and then the radio functionality. So if you right click mm-hmm. on a song or, and say, build me a radio station around this song, it's kind of using the same thing that Pandora does. <sighs> so we don't touch any of, we can't touch the algorithmic because that's generated directly to the user mm-hmm. um, and their user, what your friends are listening to, what you listen to, and it's building off of kind of your listening habits. Okay. The editorial team at Spotify, very early days when we were, we had some relationships with some of the people that were at Spot, Doug Ford, Mike Begain, and then in Nashville, we had some relationships as well. But we had relationships directly with these people that were curating these lists, which was wonderful, <laughs> except for the fact that everyone wanted to have access to these people. Uh-huh. So about two years in, we completely pivoted and stopped working directly with the editorial team because labels were doing that, managers, individual artists were doing that, people were selling contact lists on the internet to, to get these people's email addresses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually in a meeting with someone. They had almost a thousand emails in an hour and a half. And I realized we were barking up the wrong tree. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, uh, Spotify opened up the artist portal and now allows for any artist to submit their music to the editorial team, usually three to four weeks before release. So you're in a spot where you now as an individual artist can submit that music to Spotify they don't want emails. I mean, they, they want it to be coming directly from that artist portal. So uh, it saved us a lot of headache of people like, why can't you get me on New Music Friday? Or why can't you get me on uh-huh. today's top hits? And I'm like, but if you look at those playlists, they're, for the most part, major label artists. It's, it's not going to be a lot of independence. Okay. So with this artist submission, the artists can submit themselves. Their mm-hmm. label can submit for them. Their Correct. manager, agent, if they hire someone so like you, you can... We don't actually we don't touch it uh, oh, because okay. we don't have access to it because it needs to come through the artist team. So usually you're going to get it either through your distributor. If you're on a major label, uh, you're probably going to have a point person within Spotify to 
give you the priority tracks that you're going to be working over the next you know week month year quarter whatever it might be okay. if you're an independent artist you're going to have access to your own artist portal and be able to submit through that so we we don't help in in the sense of editorial somewhat off the table our efforts are all going to be in the other two types of playlists that i was going to describe which is the user generated playlist um which is any user on spotify can create their own playlist yeah. people can follow that playlist sometimes it's you know friends and family and for some people they turn it into an art form <laughs> and like to get lots and lots of people to follow uh, we'll promote it through their social media platforms uh, or maybe they just have great taste or they have utilized some type of search engine term that other people might be searching for, you know, happy songs, sad songs, whatever okay. that might be. Uh-huh. Songs to get ready to in the morning or songs to work out to. And sometimes it's specific to a song or a season. The quarantine and pandemic uh, playlists have, have definitely <laughs> popped up recently. Yep. So we, you know, we monitor those as well, but we're looking for anything that has, you know, 500 plus followers on a playlist that that we feel like is generating actual listens and streams for the songs that are on that list. So our goal is really to find these people, connect with them on some social media platform or through text message or email and see if they're interested in listening to to new music that we're promoting and doing it in in an upstanding and ethical way. And the other type of playlist that is out there that is kind of the, it's, it's the branded playlist. So coming through a brand, there's a, a few brands, Filter, Dixter, that were early brands on the platform. And then there's some other, you know, in, any blog or any entity that's out there trying to, I guess, build a musical profile around what their product or service might be. Okay. So with the editorial playlist, that sounds pretty democratic. I mean, everyone has the level playing field of submitting their music. And then beyond that, is there any way of influencing those editorial playlists? There really is no way. Um, Your best bet is to have a relationship with your distributor who's going to have a contact within Spotify's staff. Um, Your label will probably have a label relations person. So you're going to have it by genre or, or by by city, I guess, if you're if you're in a major a major area. Okay, how um, many people are does Spotify employ who puts together these editorial playlists? I at this point, you know, since we've shifted our focus, I have no idea. I know at one point it was several hundred. Okay. Um, but you know, it's I, there's been some churn, and I know specific to to Nashville where where we're based. Uh, how many people are on that team, but I don't know globally anymore. Uh, okay. we, we used to have relationships and ask those questions. And yep. at this point, I, you know, there's, there's, there's 40,000 songs released every day. If you, oh my word. if you believe, if you believe TuneCore <laughs> that are added wow. to the platform. <laughs> um, so I don't know how many people you would need to listen to that much music. And I would have to assume that all, all of it's not, <laughs> you said level playing field. I have to assume that it's not quite level in the sense that every song that's being submitted is being given a listen to. Uh-huh. So these people who are making those decisions and curating those lists, do they tend to be like say they're curating a classical music list, do they tend to be someone with a classical background? Like what's the background and the credentials of the people who are making these decisions? Sure, so specific to, you know, Nashville and the country music industry. So one of the gentlemen that was for a long time building those lists was a former program director at a radio station, a country radio station. Okay. So that makes sense. Yep. Or there's somebody that has a digital background within within that genre of music. You're always going to find that they have some tie to their genre or format. So it's not completely, you know, it's not just some random guy saying, I think, you know, we'll, we'll put these songs on this list. Uh-huh. Um, there's going to be some, you know, I feel like they've hired pretty well uh, there okay. where somebody with, 
with good taste in that specific genre or that specific mood that they're trying to build. Okay. Well, and they're probably trying to build the listeners for their own individual respective playlists too, because if Spotify sees that they're curating these playlists that nobody's following, there's going to probably be some consequences to that. Yes. I'm, I'm sure they have some pretty advanced analytics as to what they're able to see. Um, you know, what the skip rates are on the songs they're adding. I know that that is looked at relatively closely. Okay. So if we look at non-editorial playlists, independent playlists, is that kind of an accurate umbrella to cover branded playlists and user-generated and influencer? We just usually, yeah, we usually use the the term just, you know, user-generated playlists. So um, even if it's a brand, it's still, that's still a user on the platform that Uh is creating playlists. So UGC or user-generated content, user-generated playlists is kind of the the term I use. Okay. So that's where artists and their teams have a little bit more leverage and influence what do they do to try to influence getting their songs on some of these user-generated playlists? So, you know, our efforts, and I tell this to potential clients all the time, is our efforts are no different than what that that person could do. We've got a six-year head start, and I've got six people that are doing it full-time. So Mm. we'll find a playlist that has a thousand, maybe let's say 15,000 followers. We'll first research it. We use some software called Chartmetric that allows us to see how much traffic is coming out of that playlist. What's happening there? Does it look like there's any funny business bots, you know, you're faking streams or do we know that this playlist is owned by someone that we know accepts money uh, and, and payola? So there's kind of the first phase of making sure that we're vetting it. And then from there, we'll try to match up the username of the owner of that playlist with you know, is it is are they using the same name on social media? Are there other places on the internet where they may be using that same username? We match those okay. things up, then we reach out and direct message them through social media, through email, through you know WhatsApp, whatever that might be. Uh-huh. Start to have some dialogue, hopefully. So uh, you can imagine, not everyone is responsive, but we it's it's brute force. You know, it's just continuing to research and find, and then once we've created some dialogue and they understand what we are and who we are, we say, hey, well, this playlist, we're watching the kind of music that you're putting on this list. Here's some additional music that, you know, we feel like might be a good fit. Are you willing to take a listen? And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Sure. So this vetting process that you go through, I imagine you you kind of vet some playlists and then you can keep that relationship going. You don't have to keep going through that process constantly. Right. So, I mean, right now we're probably working 3,500 playlists or so throughout, you know, all all genres um, that we've created and established relationships with and continue to have dialogue with. But we're, you know, I've got three people on the team now that do nothing but research new lists to continue to try to make sure we're on top of it. Okay. What kind of longevity do these playlists usually have? Like there's a term in the podcasting world that's called pod fade where Mm -hmm. podcasts start and then people realize, oh, this takes a lot of time and work and it just kind of dies. What kind of longevity do these playlists have? Do these people keep them going for years? Some do. I mean, we've definitely seen people that stop updating and that's something we have to monitor as well. You know, when's the last time this person updated the list? How frequently are they they adding songs? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a mixed bag. So okay. there are people that have kept it up for, for years and years and, you know, relationships we've, you know, we've got, I've got t- people on my promotion staff that know people's birthdays and, you know, how's your mom doing? Okay, <laughs> I heard sure. she was, you know, so it, it does become relational uh-huh. um, for people that we've worked with for a long time. For some, it's, you know, it's a flash in the pan and they find some SEO trick that works um, and they've got a lot of followers. And the next thing you know, you know, that, that phase has passed and they go on and try to create something new or 
it just it's it's not as active as it once was sure what's the motivation for a lot of these people putting these playlists together now if it's a branded playlist i imagine it's part of their job description to do this sure. but for influencers do they get some kind of benefit and perk or money from doing it can they generate ads i mean what's what's do they just love music and love putting these I, together for fun it, in the purest form i would like to think they just love music i make it I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in my forties. So I akin it to like being the guy that had the coolest mixtape in middle school. Okay. Right. So like <laughs> I've got the cool tape and I'm going to trade it. So I, I look at it as that type of you're, you're flexing that muscle because it's, it's something you love. Uh-huh. Other people have found that, that you have good taste. You get some type of reward for being the cool taste maker that finds the new music or, or finds a way to put them together that, that makes people feel a certain way. Uh-huh. That's that in its purest form is. And so there's no way to sell ads on that space. or there's no way, way to really monetize that space other oh, okay. than, other than people that are doing, you know, the pay for placement and the payola and, and uh-huh. kind of the, the seedier parts of, of the playlisting world. Sure. Um, we sure. just, we put those guys on a do not contact list and know who they are and, and, <laughs> sure. and make sure, and make sure we aren't, you know, running afoul of, of any of the practices, sure. the terms and conditions. Yeah. Another question, how does a uh, individual artist or band's level of success influence how involved they are in trying to monitor their Spotify exposure? For example, someone like Ed Sheeran, I'm guessing he doesn't have to do anything with yeah, Spotify. Yeah, it, there's definitely a level of haves and have-nots you know, with, uh-huh. within the music business in general. So full transparency, historically, I worked with Taylor Swift. Okay. It's, it's a much easier you know, uh, work environment to have people coming to you than you having to go to them. You know, yeah. Taylor Swift release, Ed Sheeran releases music. People are automatically drawn to that. Yeah. Want to listen to it, want to, you know, want to check it out. You're also going to get a huge amount of editorial support and, you know, homepage placement. And Drake has a, has a great three or four years ago, he released an album and, I'm pretty sure Drake was the cover art for like every single playlist, things that didn't make any mm. sense. It was like, you know, hot country. There's Drake on the cover. I don't know. <laughs> it was <laughs> so it, it does help to, you know, it does help to be the haves uh-huh. um, with the way that music has progressed. And the fact that you now no longer need a major label um, to release your music. And there's a lot less barrier to entry to create music. There's a whole lot more have nots than sure. there are haves these days. Sure. So, yeah, it's it's easy when you're when you're the big dog. Not only do you not necessarily have to monitor it as an individual artist, so Ed Sheeran's probably not worried about his Spotify right. statistics. Um, <laughs> he also has a team around him that is making sure to make those calls and set up those relationships and make sure that you know there 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 are people that are monitoring that situation across the entire musical landscape. So sure. Yeah. Well, and then you have, like you said, the have-nots, the independent artists who may have amazing music, but they don't have the means to hire the team to help them do all of these different things. So I suppose in that situation, it just depends on how savvy they are with doing their own promotion. Sure. I mean, it's I, I look at the, the industry really as you know a, a multitude of buttons, if you will, right? So in the 80s and 90s, there were probably seven or eight buttons. You know, A&R, you'd use radio promotion you'd use pr you would try to do some you know appearances and touring etc um and you smash all those buttons and if you were a major label putting a quarter million dollars behind a release um you know two out of every 10 times you'd be successful two out of 10 times you'd break even and the other six times you'd fail miserably um the industry has obviously evolved with social media and different are you good on tiktok are you good on instagram is it better on facebook you know are, are you a great youtuber you know, mm-hmm. where did you come from? Where did you get your start? 
you know, is it Spotify? Are you mm-hmm. excelling on Amazon or Pandora? So there's a million different buttons. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, a couple hundred. And so independent artists now are trying to find what's that matrix of, mm-hmm. of buttons that I'm pushing that gets the result that I'm looking for. Sure. Um, and so it's become a much more complex environment. I mean, even for major labels. Um, so my wife works for a major label and there is just, you know, how are we, we're going to treat this artist differently than this artist. You know, uh-huh. what's the demographic of this artist? Yeah. What's their audience? Where is their audience living? So it's, yeah. it really has become a really complicated landscape uh-huh. where it used to just be seven or eight buttons, brute force and some cash behind you. And there were a lot fewer releases. Uh huh. Well, and like you said, a lot of that does, which buttons to push does depend on the demographic. I mean, somebody like, and Enya is going to have a completely different demographic than your up and coming young country music star. <laughs> sure. And may, and honestly, some of those platforms might overlap because, you know, the country market is a little older. So the, the Enya mm. market's going to be a little older. Mm, I would sure. say if you're a, if you're a country artist, that's going to be a completely different release than a hip hop track, right? Mm-hmm. It's gonna, that's, you're going to worry a lot more about a younger demo and where are they? Where are they aggregating? Is it Snapchat and TikTok as sure. opposed to Facebook and, you know, some Instagram and some YouTube live stuff. So it's sure. it's really interesting to see how different people are trying to capture audience in different places. Uh-huh. And then you look at streaming promotions and we're one button. Like I've long said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to stick to one. We're the one button for user generated playlist uh-huh. promotion on Spotify. So okay. I want to be one trigger and not try to be the more diversified you get in this thing, the, the sooner you are to... I don't know, get confused, quite honestly. Sure. And so I want to be one specific trigger. And if that's somewhere that you think that you can succeed, then we're a good spot for, for those artists. Sure. That philosophy reminds me of a book I'm reading right now, The Passion Economy. Have you heard of it? <laughs> yeah, I have. I've heard yeah. of the book. I've not read it, but I've heard of it. <laughs> I can't think of the author's name right off the bat, but I'll put it in the show notes. Well, one final question about this is, what's, what is the value of a playlist or a song's placement on a playlist versus radio play? Is there, are they kind of comparable? Um, it's not going to be comparable. Uh, you know, radio, and I could go into a long diatribe on, you know, the lack of accurate statistics from radio promotion and, and what you actually get, you know, how many people were actually listening at that given time. Mm. Are we actually assured of any type? We know the, the audience reach of that radio station would be, you know, they'll tell you it's X, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't know how many people were living, listening at that given time or were paying attention. With Spotify, I feel like your, your statistics are a lot more accurate. Okay. The muscle is definitely similar. And what our efforts are is going to a curator as opposed to going to a program director at a radio station. Your reach might, I mean, for huge playlists, you might get the same reach and engagement that you would have from radio, um, from some smaller radio stations. But there's thousands and thousands, well, there's millions and millions of playlists, but there's you know thousands and thousands of playlists that, that actually move the needle. Um, uh-huh. I'd like to think we've been in contact with most of those. Mm-hmm. And so... At the aggregate, yes, it's the same. You're probably getting the same reach as you with radio. Radio is obviously a much different animal and much more traditional mm-hmm. in the sense of it's brick and mortar. Somebody is paid to update that list. You know, mm-hmm. the, let's call it a playlist for, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So it's a little different, but sure. it's hard, hard to say. Yeah. Ah, oh, fascinating. Well, I'm going to shift gears here and ask a question that I ask all my guests. I call this the improv segment when I ask if you have an experiment or try this at home, some kind of suggestion that listeners can do to enhance their lives with music. I mean, I think the most interesting self-experiment you can do is try to create some, you know, and, and virality might not be the, the, the best word uh, in, in the, <laughs> the current like, but sure. what's the viral nature of, of marketing your music or your product? Try to get outside of your, what we call it, streaming promotions, your figure eight, right? 
I'm releasing the same music to the same people over and over again. It's the same community. I go back in the lab and create something. I release it again to the exact same people. How are you trying to grow something virally? You know, is there a way to get outside of your current community? And I think that's it's something I've done throughout my career, but also something we really focus on at Stream Promotions is, all right, what are we doing to get outside of this normal you know, this community that's already following this band or this artist, you know, how are we growing something? So that can be done on any social media platform. It can be done through YouTube. It can be, you see things go viral all the time uh-huh. to get an idea of the difficulty of that. I always think it's fun to try to make one of those on your own and see, see how it goes. It's, <laughs> it's, it's very difficult to create, but if you capture it, then the people that are very successful are in that world are the ones that are able to replicate it and kind of use that same philosophy or use that same building strategy to do it over and over again, and sometimes on multiple topics. And it's really interesting to see those that have kind of figured out the way that, that a viral release works or that, it, that, huh. I guess that a virus works, as we're seeing uh, in the world today. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think that would be a whole interesting topic, too, is what makes something go viral and how do you figure out how to do that? Huh. If you if you find out, please let me know. Um, I'll <laughs> Yeah, I'll do that. Well, I'll put a bunch of ways to connect with you and your work in the show notes. Streaming Promotions website is streamingpromotions.com. We also have Instagram link, Facebook. I'll put all of that in the show notes for people who want to learn more. I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending, a coda, by sharing a song or a story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Is there a song or a story you can share with us today? I've got hundreds. Um <laughs> But, you know, I and I didn't get into any of this, but I you know, started my career as a banker and was a consultant traveling the country, but was in love, you know, was in love with music from a very young age. And it was always a live experience for me. So I would end my workday on a Friday and find the nearest venue or the nearest show that I could go catch some music live. And through that was able to really catch some early days, you know, Jason Mraz, John Mayer, um, mm-hmm. Jack Johnson, Ben Harper, um, some singer songwriters that I was just to watch those things, to watch those things grow, right. To, to see John Mayer play at Eddie's attic in front of 35 people. And within two years, you know, stand up at an amphitheater and see 25,000 people singing along. Um, those experiences where it's like, I, I I have my fingers on the pulse. Like I'm getting it. I'm I'm in tune with what's happening. And when Um, you watch those artists early on in their careers, were though all those performances in Nashville? No, they were all over the place. So, um, Eddie's attic is actually just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. But I saw, I saw people play everywhere, you know, mostly the Southeast just because that was my base and and where I was working, but festivals and just when you know, when you're in tune, when you see something early and you're like, that's, that's going to happen. That's, that's the next thing. And then to watch it. You had that sense as you were watching some of these guys. absolutely i oh, mean okay. there was just there was there was just some undeniable talents like that's that's going to work that's going to resonate you know that's that's telling people's story in a way that's going to work um and i'd like to think that i've always you know through the 20 or so years of my career i've been able to always put my fan hat on and not it's probably how i got more passionate about spotify than other platforms similar to what you found out is wow all this music's available for ten dollars a month you know like <laughs> I, and that's not the way that the record labels wanted it to happen they would much rather you buy an album for ten dollars you know whether it be a cd or uh-huh. on itunes but that's not the way fans wanted it so fans wanted to consume it as much as they you know i want a netflix for music which is basically uh-huh. what spotify is uh-huh i want well, you all you can eat yeah well you mentioned something just now about how you recognize that some of these artists had a way of telling their story that really resonated and connected with people. And I remember from your website, your website mentioned something about how streaming promotions 
really is uh, their goal is to tell artists story and Absolutely. increase their footprint. And I think that's that's really cool. I mean, that's that's what we as humans love is we love to hear stories. We love to tell stories. We love to have other people understand our story. Right. And, mu- and music does that in such a wonderful way. Right. Yeah. To be able to connect. It's even though the story, I'm sure, might mean something completely different to the artist, but might take you to a place or capture. I mean, everybody's got a, a breakup song that maybe wasn't even, you know, that, that something that captured a moment in time where you hear that song and you immediately go back emotionally to that place. And I think that's the, the beauty of music is just the way it's able to capture human emotion and, and encapsulate it in that way. And artists are wonderful about being able to tell those stories in ways that resonate with fans and resonate with just music lovers everywhere so uh-huh. that's really our you know that, at, a, at a very very simple level that's the goal is how do i get music in the hands of people that love music to share it with other people that love music thanks so much to michael for sharing all the fascinating information with us today and for sharing those stories he did send me a youtube video of the early john Mayer show that he attended That is in the show notes if you're interested in watching a young, early career John Mayer. If you listened to last week's episode with Lori Bertner, I have an update for you. My 18-year-old daughter, Adrienne, did humor me and sing and stomped the dinosaur song and gave me permission to include the video in the show notes. She really enjoyed listening to Lori and shared on video some of her childhood memories of Lori's music and gave her own shout out to Lori and agreed for me to post those video clips in episode 45's show notes. So check those out if you want a heartwarming example of how childhood music can continue to impact us when we're grown. Looking ahead to next week, our country and our world continues to process the horrific killing of George Floyd right here in Minneapolis on Memorial Day. A former guest on this show has graciously agreed to chat with me later this week on this topic, and that conversation will be releasing next week. In the meantime, I want to thank my friends at the Minnesota Opera who have compiled and are continually updating a list of excellent resources for us to both help and learn as we all look for ways to be part of the solution to the problem of racism. Thank you, Minnesota Opera, for that resource of ways to stand with the Black community and educate ourselves. I have included a link to that in today's show notes. Thank you for joining me today. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with the healing power of music.